Many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And the day is coming when there will be peace on the earth, but not wrought by man, because man doesn't have the capacity. I'm keeping a clock with me, friends. I'm going to ask a cruiser, if you and Adam... If you guys would make your way back out to that door where things have been situated. There's been with this Bells of Peace, we want to, at 11 o'clock, we want to ring our church bell. Didn't know we had a church bell. Well, we do. And so I'm trying to watch it. But the reason, there's a reason why Adam and Cruiser, okay? So I'm going to start back here with Judy. I need you to be quick because we got a clock here, okay? Judy or David. You're here, David. Hi. Tell us. To your side, do you want to tell us? What's your personal family connection to World War I? Well, most of my family, I guess, from Lockstage, Ingvard, Oliver, my dad, and... Uh, you have a picture, I understand, hanging in your, in your living room with the three of them during their, in your military room during their time in uh, World War I when they were there. They're all in uniform. Right in. Okay. So they're all in uniform right after the war. So here's a direct connection back to World War I. And you know this is a, a family that loves our country and generation by generation have served in the military. David himself is a Vietnam War vet. Their daughter Sarah is uh, uh, deployed right now. Adam is a veteran also. That's why Adam is out there. So I'm going to do one other quick thing here. Leanne, I don't know if you even know this because I talked to Cruiser. Okay, but he too has. All right, I'm not going to do it. Okay, Cruiser's dad was a Cruiser's dad was a uh, Navy uh, life career type guy, and um, so I asked Cruiser if he had connections. He said, "Yeah, he too has relatives that are identified with as World War One veterans." So I wanted to just. Uh, have them speak and understand why we've asked Cruiser and Adam to do this bell ringing for us. If we could first, we have just enough time, if we could first, can I please ask our veterans to stand here, please? If you're a veteran today of any branch of the military, will you please stand? Now we've got Adam out back here, Arnold and David, and there's others, I'm sure. Please. Thank you. Thank you so very much for your service. Um, tomorrow is a reminder, and it's probably happening in other schools. I don't know of them, but there is a Veterans Memorial Day service tomorrow that is important to remind young people. It'll be at the school here to remind young people that um, uh, freedom is not free, right? So I'm going to, if you'll allow me, I'm going to step to the back now, and uh, in just one minute I'll ask you guys to stand and Robbie, who has also arranged for this, he says it rings pretty loud, but we're going to actually, so we can hear it for sure, going to bring this microphone, 
and it's going to be out there. And when the nuclear clock tells us it's time to ring, well, we will ring. And as you hear that first ring, can I ask you to stand and um, let, that, let the ring start? You stand, and then we will honor those who have served. We will remember that it's been 100 years since this war to end all wars. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have the privilege of living in a country whose heritage began by acknowledging you, your just and righteous hand over all the nations. We thank you, Father, that we live in a country that was founded on principles that our liberties, our freedoms, our rights come directly from you, not from the government. And Father, we thank you that we are the, the inheritors of such an amazing heritage that has allowed this country, the United States of America, to accomplish amazing things and to truly be exceptional in many, many ways. And for that, we thank you. But Lord, we also know that though it was considered that World War I was to be the war that ends all wars, <laughs> that just didn't happen because mankind has fallen and he is broken. And so, Father, generation upon generation has called upon those who have been willing to put on the uniform of the American serviceman or servicewoman in order to defend the freedoms that you have given us. And so, Father, we thank you for those who have, for those who have served. We thank you that they were willing to write that blank check of their lives and hand it over to our government that if need be, that they could cash that check so that we could remain free. And so we thank you for each one, those who are still living, who we can honor this morning, those who uh, survived the likes of war, and came home, and we thank you for them, but many have passed on since then. And then, Father, again, we thank you for those who paid the ultimate price. It's a sobering moment to us, Lord, to understand that freedom indeed is not free, but it's protected for us by those who wear the uniform. Thank you that you've been so gracious to this country. Father, I pray that your refreshing winds of revival of your spirit will once again blow across our nation as we have just sung that we as your church might be revitalized as well as the impact that we have upon a nation that at times father we're concerned about how we are neglecting you so thank you for what this all means at this time and for those who have served and for your great and gracious power that has been at work on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated.
We're actually, with these boxes in just a little bit, we're going to be sending a little bit of Christmas as we acknowledge Christmas on ahead of us, aren't we? We have all been raised in a culture that one of the ways in which we acknowledge the birth of Christ is, as he is God's gift to us, is to share gifts with others. And in this particular case, we're sending them off to who knows where, to kids who we will never meet, places we will never be, and there's probably going to be very few instances where anybody's going to be able to thank us directly for the boxes that we send. Yet, with Karen's faithful leadership, we've done this year after year after year for I don't know how many years now. And I just wanted to raise this simple question. Why bother? Why are we doing this? I mean, here we are again, sending out the boxes. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that when we think of the birth narratives that inform us about the events that we base our celebration of Christmas upon, this whole concept of Christmas, it's interesting how they relate to the book of Micah. And we want to answer this question, why bother? But first begin by refreshing ourselves something that will be told over and over again. It will be in church Christmas programs. It will be on Christmas cards. It will be a part of this story in the picture of Christmas. When we put out the manger scene for the town, it will be there. Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. And they quote, when asked, where's, where's this king supposed to be born? They knew very readily where to turn, where to find that information. They turned to the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. And there it was declared exactly what needed to happen. Now we need to understand the context of that because Micah chapter 5 verse 2 is our uh, memory verse and the verse we're keying in on. But let's just give it a little bit of a setting, shall we? Micah is prophesying to the people, letting them know that there's going to come some serious afflictions upon them. They're coming because they have refused to maintain faithfulness to the covenant that God established with Moses. And in order to get their attention, God is going to allow them 
to be defeated by their enemies. The northern kingdom is going to get defeated and dispersed. The southern kingdom is going to get defeated, carried off, and then a remnant is going to come back. But in either case, there's going to be some defeat. And uh, in that discussion, we read this, Micah chapter 5, verse 1. I'm just trying to give you a bit of context. Now gather yourself in troops, O daughter of troops. He has laid siege against us. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. Meaning there's going to come a difficult time. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. For now he shall be great to, to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. And I'm going to cut it off there. There's further stuff, but I've already given you the context as to, as to what is there. If you want to read it for yourself later on, that's fine. But I want to end on that statement of this one shall be peace. Here's the first thing we need to note, friends. Micah's writing, correct? Micah's anticipating the coming of Assyria, correct? We know historically Assyria came in in 722 B.C. So Micah is prophesying prior to 722 B.C. that, that Assyria is coming. And Micah 5.2 is what's quoted by Matthew in chapter 2 with the arrival of the wise men. So they knew Micah had prophesied Christ will come and he will be born in Bethlehem. And that's why, of course, King Herod sent and had all the boys, two years old and younger, killed. Kind of just, uh, just this broad sweeping stroke to prevent a king from taking his place. What I think is fascinating, and I say it every year, so some of you will be tired of hearing it, and I'm saying it again as we approach, uh, as we approach Christmas. Think about this. Micah prophesied over 700 years before Christ arrived that he would be born in Bethlehem. Now, the woman who's going to give birth to Christ, she's way up in Nazareth. Okay? She's up there in the Galilee area. Huh. People don't, you know, don't naturally travel when they're getting near the end of their pregnancies. Our daughter just got married. One of the, her cousins who was most excited about Danea getting engaged was her cousin Stephanie. Stephanie was thrilled to hear Danea was engaged. <laughs> but Stephanie didn't come to the wedding because our daughter's wedding was on Friday and Stephanie gave birth on Sunday morning. She was not about to travel because you don't travel when you're ready to give birth. So how in the world is this going to happen? Well, Luke chapter 2 tells us. Luke chapter 2 tells us how God got Mary and Joseph out of the north down into Bethlehem. It sounded to Caesar as if he was in control of the world because he called for a census. <laughs> he was simply God's tool. Call for the census 
to get Mary and Joseph to take a trip they wouldn't normally take. So where do they arrive? It said because they had to get to Bethlehem because they're of the house and lineage of David. And they arrive there and the child is born. Just put those together, friends. Prophecy over 700 years old. The, the mom located in a place not where the prophecy needs to take fulfilled. Over in Rome, Caesar speaks up, and boom, it all comes together. Now, in the text that I've read, the entire text that I've read in Micah, and we don't have time to dissect it all out, so I'll just ask you to go with me by faith and talk about it more if you want to. Actually, Micah covers both the first advent of Christ, that is this birth narrative in the time till he went to the cross, he touches on that, but he also covers the second advent. This time when we keep hearing about this, re- this, this remnant returning and, and this one who will rule, that is going to take place in the second advent. So here's my point, friends. Knowing how precisely God fulfilled the prediction that Christ would, or would be born in Bethlehem and seeing his sovereign hand at work in that, in a 700-year-old prophecy, we can conclude this. Christ will arrive as predicted in his return. He came once to fulfill the first prophecies identified with him when he came as the suffering servant. He will come a second time and fulfill the prophecies where he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. It is a done deal, friends. It is going to happen. So why shoeboxes? Why? Why do we go through this? Because Christ will come again. Because Christ is going to manifest himself yet again. And these kids need to know of him. These kids need to realize that truth. And his message will accompany these boxes. That he is coming again. So Christ will arrive as predicted. But also, Micah... See, we didn't actually cover the prediction. I'm just pointing out to you how he predicted it, and then boom, there it is. Okay, the second thing that I want to point out here is Christ will reign preeminent. Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. As you go through the prophets, and we have not had time, there's such a large body of material there, but there is constantly this calling to the prophets, you're in danger of God's judgment. They almost always follow it with, but God is remaining true to his covenant with Moses. And after you undergo this judgment of God by Assyria and Babylon, God's still going to restore you. And God is still going to fulfill his promises in Jesus Christ or this coming Redeemer. And when he comes, when he comes the second time, he will reign as preeminent, the one to be ruler in Israel. Now, these won't come up on the screen, but just consider Genesis 49.10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Now, Isaiah was a contemporary with Micah. For unto us a child is born, 
Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Zechariah chapter 14. And in that day it shall be that living water shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them towards the eastern sea and half of them towards the western sea, in both summer and winter it shall occur. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name is one. You see, friends... The scriptures make it very clear that when Christ returns as predicted, he will rule as the only righteous ruler this earth has ever known. He will rule over the entire earth. The entire world will be under his rulership. He will do it in perfect righteousness. And nobody can prevent him. He will come. Read Revelation chapter 20. You'll see him setting up his kingdom. He's going to reign for a thousand years. And he is going to be king of kings and lord of lords. And all of this stuff that we tire of in our human experience, right? That's why I specifically mentioned earlier... Mr. Salman saying how World War I, 100 years ago today, that armistice. It was going to be the war that ends all wars. Because people were weary. We're tired of what we hear. Whether internationally in its wars among nations. Whether it is issues like drug cartels that have killed thousands along the northern Mexico border. There you go. We don't even hear about it. But it's happening. Whether it's more gun violence yet erupting one more time, that we just shake our heads and go, don't understand that. We're weary. We are weary of hearing how man so often afflicts such evil upon his fellow man. But it's not going to change, friends. It's not going to change, Micah says, until the ruler comes. Then they will beat their their swords into pruning hooks, right? That's when it will happen. But until then, mankind is who he is. And you know, friends, some of the children who are getting these boxes, they are the victims of war. They are the oppressed. They are the ones who will live in poverty their entire lives because the governments who are in charge and the warring factions among them they don't care about these little kids. They really don't care. As long as they can sustain and maintain their power and their chokehold over the people. That's what matters to them because that's the heart of man. But these little shoeboxes come and they bring a message that this world is not going to be in darkness forever that there is one who is coming who will reign in righteousness. 
and justice will prevail in a way that mankind has never brought it for himself. They need the hope as to who Jesus Christ is and what he's going to do. And that brings us just to our last thought, friends. It's right here in this passage. As Micah says, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. What magnificent truth is in this little one verse, my friends. Because Christ will be revealed as preexistent. You know, people find the different ways to describe Jesus and some just to totally deny his, that he even existed in history. Well, they're wrong. And others want to just kind of make him out to be a good teacher. Oh, he was a good moral teacher. He, he was another good religious leader among the religious leaders. And he started a good movement and all of this stuff. It's all hogwash. Because there is no one else who will sit on the same plane as Christ for anything they have ever done. Because when Christ comes, he will be the one whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. And in his first advent, what took place? The incarnation. The second person of the Trinity, Philippians chapter 2, describes this for us. The second person of the Trinity put off all the prerogatives of being the second person of the Godhead and came and became a servant and took on human flesh. And he entered into our existence as one of us. But we know what the scriptures teach and we know what will be revealed once he rules in perfect righteousness and he comes as King of kings and Lord of lords and he is seen as being something different than any king that has ever been on the earth before. And the scripture is clear about his preexistence. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And that's a reference to Christ. The word became flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, glories of the only begotten of the Father. John eight fifty eight. Jesus clearly declared, he said to, to the religious leaders, he said, most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And he declared his place as the second person of the Trinity. Philippians 2, we've already touched on. Colossians 1.17. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He's not just another man who has come and, and ruled well, maybe better than others. There's something qualitatively different. He is, he is God incarnate. Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. How magnificent is he? I think of these kids in areas that are war-torn. They're impoverished. They don't have a big hope as to what could come their way, what we take so much for granted as to what is available to us and things that we can pursue. We just take it for granted, don't we? I mean, just delighted to see Zach. Zach, good to have you with us, buddy. Okay? But we just take it for granted that, oh yeah, there's a school called UND. And if you want to go there and you want to, you want to enter the medical field, sure, work hard, you can go there. You want to be something in aviation, go there. You can, you can accomplish something. You want to be some, go into the mechanical engineering, you can go there and you can accomplish that. And, over, and we just take it for granted 
these things are available and we go on with our lives, but understand where these shoeboxes are going. There's not a lot for many of these kids that they can look forward to other than more poverty, more hard work, and never really, really getting ahead. But to know that the eternal pre-existent Christ loves them, that he is coming back to set this world aright, that he desires to intervene into their lives and, and even in the midst of all of this to fill their hearts with hope and joy and love, which we have seen on these videos that Karen has played for us throughout this season. How magnificent is that? And that's the message packaged up in every one of these little boxes. Sure, there's things in there, but there is the intangible that is going to accompany it as they arrive on site and there are believers there to distribute and to communicate with them. Why shoeboxes? Why are we doing this again? Because Christ will come again as predicted, just like he came before. Because he will reign in righteousness and peace and be preeminent, greater than any ruler there has ever been. And because he is the preexistent one who took on flesh in order to go to the cross, in order to be able to provide a salvation that is the only hope for something other than this broken world. And we have the privilege of sending that message forth in these little things called shoeboxes. Why shoeboxes? Because Jesus. Amen? Amen.